You're listening to The Omni Show. Get to know the people and stories behind the Omni Group's award-winning productivity apps for Mac and iOS. Music. What a lovely tune. I'm your host, Brent Simmons. In the studio with me today is Dave Lonning, documentation wrangler at the Omni Group. Say hello, Dave. Hello, Dave. Very well done. Thank you. So as a documentation wrangler, your job, roughly speaking, is uh, writing and publishing the documentation that ships with our various apps, Mac and iOS versions. So I guess my first question is, these days, why do we even have documentation? That's a great question. Um, I think, put simply, in the case of our apps here at Omni, we... Um, we make apps that are really powerful. And with that power comes uh, a lot of versatility, a lot of options, a lot of menus, a lot of components that um, aren't all necessarily obvious as to what they can do at first glance. And so what our documentation does is it steps in and provides a little extra help for users who would like to take full advantage of all of the uh, powerful tools in our applications. Oh, that's cool. I mean, obviously, we designed to make things user-friendly and obvious, but when you have apps as powerful as these, yeah. uh, the written word has to step in, I guess. Huh? We see it as as part of the team along with UX and support and design and everyone who is working together to try to make everything as accessible as possible while, um, while also not sacrificing any of the power and, and flexibility that mm-hmm. we're known for uh, with our apps here. Even on iOS, which is not not the easiest thing in, in the world, but uh, yeah, cram quite a bit in there. I guess. Yeah, right? no, um, especially over the past few years, with the goal of reaching feature parity with our Mac apps. Um, some of that's still in progress, but we are bringing a level of complexity and power to the iOS space that is not that common, and so. Unlike a lot of other iOS apps, we feel like it's important to support that with full documentation of all of the features and UI components of the app. So I'm curious about the evolution. When I was a very young person, I'd buy a floppy disk that came in a Ziploc bag with some Xeroxed, uh, you know, 10 or 20 pages or something. Then I noticed that things got a little bit better later on. We got actual boxes and um, bound printed manuals and everything. Um, What's happened since then? When I started at Omni was a little bit after the period of the, the heyday of those boxed software with the, you know, the big maybe spiral bound or, or glue bound manual that you'd get in the box along with the, the software disks. Though Omni did produce those back in the day. Uh, yes, yes, they the did. Store, yeah. And wandering around the office here, you can see like as trophies up on the shelves um, <laughs> some of the old box versions of our of our apps. Mm-hmm. But when I started, all of our distribution was done digitally through the Mac App Store as well as our Omni Store and uh, the iOS App Store. And so the challenge since I've been here has been to figure out the best way to deliver digital equivalent versions of our documentation, both bundled along with the apps and as separate standalone resources that people can reference no matter where they are. Mm-hmm. 
So when you when you started off here in uh, 2011, am I right? Yep. yep. Um, I think in those days I was writing apps, and we were using Apple had their own thing that I remember doing. Um, did we use that at the time? Do we still use that on the Mac? Uh, the Apple Help Viewer had uh, their own proprietary format for organizing and presenting help. Apple would use it for all of their Mac apps. And many other third-party companies did too, including Omni. Um, we mm-hmm. we used the Apple Help Viewer. We actually authored our help at that time in Omni Outliner and used Sweet. a Python script to port that mm-hmm. over to the Apple Help book format. Uh, I'm trying to imagine what that script looks like. Do, do we still have it around somewhere? I think it's still somewhere in our subversion repository. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I might try and publish it just for jazz we'll see it'll either be in the show notes a link to it or it won't yeah yeah <laughs> uh, i'm sure it looks insane though um and we obviously don't still use that we've we've moved on from uh the apple help format yeah that's it. that's um that's in the rearview mirror for us it's it became less uh less widely used um a, a couple of years after i i started here and so we started looking for other alternatives that, that would fulfill a similar function. All right. So the process has has been evolving. And we our toolchain now uh, generates um, uh, a couple different formats. I take it out, HTML, EPUB. And so you're using multi-markdown, do I understand right, to, to write yeah. documentation these days? Yeah, that's right. Um, we started as we were investigating opportunities for uh, moving away from the Apple Help Viewer that was no longer fully supported, we looked into a bunch of different options and we did hit on using HTML and variants of, of HTML formats to present the help both in the app and in portable formats. And over the years of kind of iterating on how best to create this HTML and looking for the ever-elusive single uh, universal source of truth that we could author in that we could then put out as, you know, an EPUB or a PDF or an in-app help file. We have ended up uh, settling on multi-markdown, um, which is, if you're, if you're familiar with markdown, um, multi-markdown is the same thing, but with a few more additional features um, that lets us add more structure and enhanced uh, multimedia aspects to the, the help books that we make. Mm-hmm. Currently, we are we have an in-house developed tool chain that takes multi-markdown and produces help book style uh, output as mm-hmm. well as output that can u- use a print CSS and be made into PDFs really easily. And we're working on figuring out what the best and most useful formats are going to be moving forward from that baseline. Oh, okay. Way back many years ago when I was at Userland, we had the mantra of scalable content for a while. And the idea is, We had a CMS that was making websites, but Mm -hmm. we wanted to be able to turn that into other things. After all, it's just printed words and images. It could be many different things. Mm -hmm. We didn't necessarily go very far with that, but it sounds like here at Omni, we've actually done quite a lot with scalable content, as we used to call it. It's it's really been an odyssey moving from building out books, almost handwriting the HTML. That's actually what we were doing in the earliest cases of our iPad apps when I started here. Hmm. When I started at Omni, we had OmniFocus for iPhone and then Omni Outliner, Omni Graffle, Omni 
OmniFocus, OmniPlan, and OmniGraph Sketcher all on the iPad. And they all had um, hand-coded HTML pages within them that were their in-app helps. Okay. And that's fine when you're launching a brand new app, but when you start needing to maintain versions and mm-hmm. update all of that, going in there and you know adding paragraph blocks by hand and, mm-hmm. and making sure that everything is consistent becomes a, a big complicated sure. headache. Um, yeah. And you mess up one tag somewhere and the whole, it's, the rest is all italics. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so um, we've definitely made great strides from that point to a really robust system that helps us make sure that everything is consistent. And when we put out a piece of documentation in one format, it's going to be the same everywhere. Oh, that's yeah. great. So aside from being able to get to these things from within the app, do we also provide downloads? So anyone could just say, I want to, I mean, I've got OmniGraphel on my Mac. And yeah. I'm learning it. This is a true story, by the way. And I want to read my manual on my iPhone on the bus to work. How do I do that? If you go to our support website, that's support.omnigroup.com, you'll see a link to our manuals. And that gives you uh, a breakdown of all of our current documentation by app. And so mm-hmm. you can go to the OmniGraphel 7 for Mac section, and you'll find links to the various formats in which our documentation is available. As you scroll through the apps, you'll see that there's a bit of variance right now as, at, at the time we're recording this, because as always is, is the case in my experience in the, in, in the software world, things are works in progress when they can be, because we're always mm-hmm. trying to find the best solutions to the problems that we currently have. And in documentation, as with a lot of our apps, the best opportunity that we have to fix a whole bunch of problems at once is at a major point release. Okay. So, for example, when OmniGraphle uh, 3 for iOS shipped, uh, that was a paradigm shift in our approach to documentation for our iOS apps. Hmm. And you'll see that when you go and look at the docs for OmniGraphle 3 for iOS. Uh, OmniGraphle 7 for Mac, docs look a little bit different because they were created uh, when OmniGraphle 7 was released under a slightly different approach. So then when OmniGraphle 8 comes out, will it switch to the newer paradigm? That's the plan. Yeah. yeah we're, okay. we're moving towards standardizing on the type of doc that you'll see for Graphle 3 for iOS and Outliner 3 for mm-hmm. iOS right now. We do definitely want to make sure that those hard copies, as with the EPUB version for OmniGraphle 7, mm-hmm. uh, are available or um, perhaps a PDF version, whatever ends up being the most useful and at that nexus of utility and efficiency for us to generate and, and keep current. Because right, yeah, yeah. as you'll see, if, if you go and look at our documentation on, on the support website, there's a lot of stuff there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, we want to make sure that it's always up to date and consistent. And uh, thankfully, we, we now have the automation tools that, that really are going to make that possible. Yeah. So I'm a little envious of, of your job in the sense that with writing documentation, you have to talk to just about everybody, which I talk to one person every two weeks and then it gets uploaded to the web. But you talk to everybody all the time because to write documentation, you have to talk to support, project managers, engineering, design, testing. How, how does that all work for you? Yeah, it, it is a really great part of doing documentation here at Omni that on any given day, I might interact with someone from support and someone from the product manager team and someone from the UX team uh, and even an engineer or a tester in the course of identifying issues 
making sure that fixes to them are accounted for in the documentation or collaborating with a PM to make sure that a new feature that they're describing in the release notes is, is accurately reflected in the documentation. Or if there's an issue that support brings up that might be a point of customer confusion, then I'll get together mm-hmm. with UX and the support team and we can look at ways that we could address that either through perhaps a change to the interface or an update to the documentation that provides a more detailed explanation of how the user can do what they want. So so do bugs get filed against uh, documentation the way they do against the apps and everything? Yeah. Depending on where an app is in its life cycle, the, the bugs work a little bit differently. But for any app that's currently in production, we'll just see a steady trickle of bugs come in as people have ideas either from from customers who might be confused about how to do something or who find a typo, God forbid, or some other missing missing piece that might be able to be added to make the docs more clear. And then we will triage those bugs just like we would an an engineering bug and get them uh, out along with milestones during the app release cycle. Do we have an in-house style guide? We have at various times had style guides uh, I mean, the short answer is yes. Mm -hmm. The slightly longer answer is we would like to get that updated. (laughs) Okay. Because, yeah, there's definitely an opportunity there to to make sure that things are even more consistent between all of our apps. Mm. I wonder if that style guide should extend also to, like, um, blogging and tweeting and whatever else, at least for certain types of problems, it probably could. I think... Uh, I love style guides. That's yeah, why I, bring I am right there with you. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a project that has kind of been on the back burner for a little while. Mm-hmm. And I think once we have a little bit more bandwidth between releases, we'll be able to really focus on getting something that's comprehensive and that applies to all of the written communication that we do. Cool. Um, Omni definitely is known for its tone of voice in terms of the way that it is engaging and tries to be kind of warm and a little bit informal, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, because we... But the, not not breezy. No, right? no, Never no. breezy. Not, not breezy and not unprofessional, but right. kind of understanding that even when we're doing something really serious, like with Omniplan and, 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 or creating a huge book outline and, and outliner, we're still trying to have fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. we want the use of our products to be enjoyable and we want our written communication to reflect that and mm-hmm. not, not be like super technical and dry and, and dull all the time. We do want to be clear and, and, and specific and, and succinct, but you know. Yeah. Right. So we have how to's and support articles as yeah. well. Do, mm-hmm. do you write those or to support, write the support articles and you write the how to's or how, how does that work out? Yeah. There really is a wide variety of support resources that we offer in written form on our website. And the way that tends to break down is if there is an issue where a customer encounters something unexpected or there's otherwise some sort of incompatibility with an older OS version or something like that, that falls under the troubleshooting category of support articles. And those Mm -hmm. are written and maintained by the support department. Articles and written content including tutorials and such that are more about how to do things, how how to accomplish uh, certain tasks or descriptions of the apps and their functionality. That's what falls under documentation. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. that makes sense. And our support people are all writers after all, because that's what support is. It is writing a really big part of the job. Yeah. 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 Um, When it's actually speaking on the phone. Yes. A lot of communication skills required. And uh, 
working with the support team is one of the most enjoyable and most important parts of what I do in the documentation role. So my notes here have you as a world traveler, born in Mexico, moved to Vermont, moved to Minnesota. Let's start with Minnesota. Why, why are you in Minnesota? Well, um, because your parents brought you there. Why yes. Else? My parents are both from, from the Midwest. My dad was born in Minnesota and my mom's from Iowa. Hmm. Um, they were living in Mexico when I was born and, and my dad went to college in Vermont and then they decided to move back to be closer to family there in the Midwest in Minnesota. Oh, sure. Yeah. And that's where I went to school from kindergarten through college. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was also where I encountered my first Apple computer. Was it actually an Apple computer? It actually wasn't an Apple computer. Um, <laughs> my uncle was the one in the family who was the big tech guy, and we tended to get machines that were ones that he was done with. Mm. So this was back in the mid to late 80s. And sure. he, Give it to the nephew. <laughs> exactly. Mm. No, he, he had just gotten uh, a shiny new Mac Plus, and so mm. he gave us his old computer, which was a laser computer. Nobody believes this actually existed. L-A-S-E-R. I'm going to have to Google this. A laser computer. Yes. This was an Apple compatible, um, green and black screen, like an Apple II, C, or E. And I remember using AppleWorks on the laser to do word processing back in, you know, 1988, 89. So how compatible is Apple compatible? (laughs) According to Wikipedia, which I just looked at before we did this, um, it was between 90 and 95%. That's compatible. almost good. <laughs> <laughs> Many important applications developed by Apple could be All run right. on the on the laser. Wow. Um, but thankfully, my uncle decided to upgrade from his Mac Plus, and we were able to get a hold of that um, around 1990. Oh, cool. And uh, yeah, it was it was on to the Performa, I think, in the mid-90s. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I had the Performa um, 405, which I bought from Silo. Nice. 90 days, same as cash. It's a, we did it. We did it. <laughs> yeah. Three months. That, it was a good machine. Yeah, it was. Yeah. 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 You were deciding where to go for school. As a Mac fan, you chose Mac Allister College. Yes. Yeah. In St. Paul, Liberal Arts School, where yep. you studied something. I started off as a philosophy major, but then switched halfway through to Asian studies with a concentration in Japanese studies, mm-hmm. uh, both the language and the culture. And that eventually took me to Japan. In fact, right after I graduated, got my first job teaching English in, in Japan, which was quite a trip. Um, yeah. <laughs> was your Japanese pretty good so you could get around and do things? I'm sure you learned a lot more quickly. Yeah, it, but... was, uh, it was the sort of thing where... I had a couple of years under my belt from college, but boy, that full mm. immersion experience. Um, yeah. I ended up teaching English in a little town that was so small that its train station didn't have anyone working there. <laughs> um, it was kind of on the honor system. You'd go wow. through and you'd just drop your ticket off in the in the turnstile, mm-hmm. um, and then you just walk on through. And it was kind of, you know, So in other words, by... you could ride around for free. The way the system was set up, you could, if you both got on and got off at a station that was unattended. Mm. But as long as one of the two points had a person or, or had some kind of a, a gating mechanism, oh, okay. then yeah. it was a lot harder to do that. Mm. And the place where I was leaving from was a bigger town. And so oh, you, know, you, right. you had to buy at least one ticket there. I was, uh, I was working in this little town with uh, countryside that uh, if you're familiar with 
the Tom Cruise movie, The Last Samurai, they they filmed our le- some our of the readers, scenes. Listeners are yeah. You know they they yeah they they filmed some of the scenes for that movie in this little town. Oh, cool. Where I was working, yeah. Was um, it beautiful? Oh, gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. You, you could really feel transported back. Mm-hmm. I don't know, fifty or sixty years, just bicycling through the the the, oh, the wow. rice fields of this of this town. It was a great experience, but the the road from English teacher to documentation writer wasn't exactly straight through. Okay. Um, after a few years of teaching English, I ended up uh, working for a small company that uh, produced English language localizations of Japanese video games. Hmm. And uh, we were using... So after the all your base are belong to us fiasco, they were yeah. like, we need Dave. Dave will prevent that from ever happening again. I did bring a little native English expertise yeah, to uh, the table there. Mm-hmm. And since the, the company was so small, I ended up wearing a lot of different hats, um, doing some documentation writing in the form of producing manuals for these for these games, mm-hmm. uh, as well as some translation and kind of project management work interfacing with other translation uh, people, localizers, oh, okay. and, the, and the Japanese companies. All of that done on, on Macs. Uh-huh. Uh, we were producing PC software, but using Macs to do it. Because Macs is always how you make things. Right. That's, that's always just been true. Macs are how you make things. Even, even when Apple was doing very badly, people were still using Macs to make things. Yeah. yeah. And so that kind of... Uh, gave me some of the groundwork that uh, led to the documentation position here. So uh, what prompted you to leave Japan and come work for Omni? I was living in Japan in the spring of 2011 when they had the really big earthquake and tsunami that mm. devastated the the coast. I remember I remember seeing about it on TV. It just seemed extraordinary. It was it was a really intense period. I, I was nowhere near the, the epicenter of the destruction, but it was experiencing that and, and living through the aftermath caused me to do some soul searching and try to figure out for myself whether I wanted to make my home in Japan indefinitely or hmm. look for other options elsewhere. And I came down on the side of feeling like I, I was ready to move move on. Mm-hmm. And so I, I started looking around and it was around that time that a good friend of mine, William Van Hecke, former Omni employee, mm-hmm. mentioned that- Great this, designer. Yes. Yeah, and great yeah, guy. Love William. Yeah. yeah. He- um, He doesn't listen to the show, so we can say that. <laughs> yeah, no, he uh, he was working at Omni at the time, and he saw that this job opening had come up, and he knew that I was a writer, and so he uh, said, he, he, he suggested that I should apply. Mm-hmm. And I figured, you know, what the heck? All right. I'll, I'll give it a shot. So, so had you already moved here or did you fly out? Or? No, I was I was still living and working in Japan, but uh, when they offered me the opportunity to apply, I said, oh, sure. So mm-hmm. I got a plane ticket, uh, flew to Seattle for a weekend and uh, <laughs> uh, had an interview. Right. With jet lag and everything. And, yeah, it yeah. was, <laughs> I, I was pretty keyed up um, mm-hmm. <laughs> sitting in the coffee shop, like a, a block from the old Omni location and uh-huh. just kind of. Was what that am the I doing? Bay location? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But yeah, I, I had the interview and it went Were well. Were you in and... Cafe Passionato? No, it was um, it was the actually the old Quest Cafe. Oh, okay. Um, which I, I think they've moved over to Ballard. Yeah. It was a really surreal experience, but really good. And apparently, they liked what they saw when I was in there. I, I can't remember what I said, but uh, <laughs> all a haze. Yeah. Right. yeah. They offered me the job, and I turned around and came back a couple months mm. later. 
in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have had my last day at work in Japan the Friday before the Monday when I was starting here. Wow, that's abrupt. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You're still recovering. Yeah. Bit of a <laughs> bit of a rough transition, but yeah. uh, but no, it was great. I mean, it'd be one thing if you were living in Seattle and you just switched jobs, but you flew from Japan on. Yeah. 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 But after about a week of uh, jet lag recovery and apartment hunting, I found a place to settle in and yeah, all right. it's all been it's all been good since then. So I hear you run a you run a game here at Omni. There's a group yes. of people who like to play role playing games. Yes, yes. Right. Um, this is something that uh, I think Omni wears as kind of a badge of pride that I was actually really looking forward to when I started here, which was kind of immersing myself once again in the in the the geek culture of the Greater Seattle area mm-hmm. and. Uh, Um, We have all the best geeks here. Lots of really, really wonderful geeks. Mm. And yeah, so one of the first things I did along with getting up to speed with the documentation was um, looking for a and d group here at the office. And sure enough, uh, there were a whole bunch of uh, folks who were playing when I started and I decided that I wanted to run my own game. And Mm. uh, since the winter of 2012, off and on, I've been running actually a Pathfinder campaign for- several fellow Omni employees and a few friends from, from outside the office. Half our listeners are cheering right now. <laughs> Pathfinder, yay, that's awesome. Then there's me. I have no idea what it is. Well, I'll find out when I do the anytime, show Anytime, you know, if you want to uh, sit in on a session, you're more than welcome. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So uh, your hobbies are, do you do a lot of gaming outside of this? Or yeah. Think about games? Yeah, I mean, uh, D&D and, and that kind of tabletop role-playing experience has been near and dear to my heart since I was in school, you know, in, in junior high and high school. Mm-hmm. And so along with running the biweekly games, I also like to paint minis and kind of use the, the, the terrain to bring a battlefield to life or, or like a, you know, kind of a castle or wilderness oh, setting cool. and stuff like that. It's, it's a, like building a diorama or something, uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. A, like a train set or something. Do you have, or can you take a picture we can share? I for the certainly can. Uh, awesome. I, I have a bunch of paraphernalia that's stored in my office here at Omni and I'll, uh, I'll, give you a picture cool so we're on a bit of a roll last week was ainsley mm-hmm. she's a cat person i'm yes. a cat person how about you i'm a cat person as Yay. well um <laughs> <laughs> omni is is i think known for its dog culture which is wonderful mm-hmm. uh, i was just listening to ainsley's episode and i think like her i've warmed considerably to dogs over the years that i've been here but at heart i'm a cat person and it, yeah. it breaks my heart that where i'm living currently i cannot have a pet Otherwise, mm. we would definitely have a cat. Well, one of these days, you'll uh, you'll live somewhere and yes. you'll have a cat or yes. cats. Yeah. And there are plenty of fellow Omniites who are always who are always offering to offer cat cuddles. Mm-hmm. So yeah, right. that's that's fun. Hmm. Well, thanks, Dave. How can people find you on the web? I am online at Zroundables on Twitter. That's Z R O U N D B L S. Um. Not Zround doubles. It's like Zroundless. Yes. Well, it'll be in the show notes. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. It's um. It wasn't picked due to its unpronounceability or, or anything like that. This was actually uh, kind of an in joke due to lots of texting with my friend William prior hmm. to starting okay. this job. We kind of invented a nonsense language that included words like that. Thus, Sounds like William. Thus, yeah. a, right. a a Twitter handle was born. Yeah. yeah. Cool. 
Well, I'd also like to thank our intrepid producer and fan of the Rocketeer, Mark Bosco. Say hello, Mark. Hello, Mark. And especially, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you. Music. Music. Thank you.